That's Canadian folk legend Sylvia Tyson performing At the End of the Day with Scarlett Rivera back in 2018. Now the song has finally been released. In fact, it's the title track to Sylvia's brand new album. We found Sylvia at home in Toronto and asked her how she's feeling about making new music after such an extended hiatus. I'm pretty excited. You know, I haven't recorded for about 10 or 15 years. And uh, this sort of came together quite suddenly. I had a lot of material, but I hadn't thought of recording. And uh, then the opportunity came up and and I'm delighted with the results. I'm very happy. Right. So what what enabled you to record these songs? What what events led up to that? Well, I had I had a dozen songs that I personally had never recorded at all, although some of them had been recorded by other people. Right. And I just thought it was time. I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm 83, and I'm not likely to do another one. So gotcha. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Although you know, I mean, there's quite a few octogenarians out there still working. There's Dylan and the Stones and Ian Hunter and people like that. So you know. <laughs> oh yeah. There's, well, we live in hope. <laughs> exactly right. Um, so, and, and you worked with a guy named Danny Greenspoon to make this record. So tell me about how the two of you worked together to, to produce uh, it. Danny was a guitar player in my band for about eight or 10 years. And, uh, then he moved into production and he's been very successful at production. And, uh, so when it came to recording this, I had, I had worked with him as a producer before I worked with a group called Quartet, myself with three other women, right. singers, songwriters. So I certainly was aware of his chops, you know. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, and it just seemed ideal to me. I, I always prefer to work with, with um, a producer that's actually a musician. Uh-huh. It makes me much more comfortable. And uh, Danny was certainly familiar with, with my career and my, my songwriting style and my singing. So it just worked out well. And he did a brilliant job of finding an ensemble, which is kind of what makes this record work, I think, because the songs are very diverse. Right. But but the uh, the ensemble remains pretty much the same throughout the album, and it kind of holds the whole thing together. Right. And it looks like you kind of recorded it fairly quickly, April just of this year, over a few days. Is that right? Uh, 12 songs in three days. It might be some kind of record. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is some kind of record. <laughs> it's this record. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, Sorry, double entendre. I wasn't expecting that. Sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> but yeah, so so what was the vibe like when you were you kind of all recording together live in the studio kind of thing? Well, uh, Danny and and the musicians had all done their homework, you know, so it w- went quite quickly because everybody knew precisely what they were expected to do. Right, and uh, and uh, so it just all kind of came together. All right. Yeah, that's good. Now, I see you've dedicated the album to Shirley Eckhart. Is that how it's pronounced? Eckhart. Yep. And she's a co-writer on one of the songs, and sadly, she passed away in December. So tell me a little bit about Shirley and about the song, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, generous well, Heart. You've always been there When I needed you
There was nothing I ever could ask that you wouldn't do. The song Generous Heart, Shirley and I wrote that probably about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, I always thought it was a really good song, but I obviously hadn't recorded in that period of time. And it, it wasn't something that would work for quartet, the group that I was working with. And uh, so when I decided to do this record, one of the first things I did was to phone Shirley and tell her that I actually was going to record the song. And we had a, a lovely conversation, and then she was gone a week later. It just broke my heart. Yeah, man. Yeah, when you get to a certain age, that that's the kind of thing that you... Un, it's inevitable, I'm afraid, but uh, it still yeah. doesn't make it that much easier either. No, you do kind of learn to roll with the punches, but uh, it's still not easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other person that you wrote a couple of tunes with is Cindy Church. There's like, I think, three of the co-writes with her. Yeah. So who is uh, she and why is she so easy to work with, <laughs> obviously? Well, uh, Cindy it was in Quartet, the group ah. that I, I worked with. And so we worked together. That group was together for 26 years, which is some kind of record, too, I think. Yep. And uh, we just called it quits this past year. But we've remained really good friends. And, and uh, Cindy has a wonderful melodic sense. I'm, I'm basically a lyric person. Uh-huh. I mean, I can write a good melody, but but it's harder for me. Gotcha. So uh, uh, I I gave uh, Cindy these these lyrics to work with, and she came up uh, trumps, I think, if you pardon the expression. Trump. Yeah, well, you, uh, it means a whole different thing now, doesn't it? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and it's very strange because me being an American – being outside of the States and watching all the stuff happen from outside is a very different perspective. And it must be crazy for you guys in Canada to, to be on the edge of all that. I have a baseball cap and on it is, I, I got it at the uh, second women's March in New York city back a few years ago. And it says make America sane again. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so what, what does it feel like in Canada politically and socially these days? Is it, is it getting better, worse, kind of the same? I mean, I've, I've been there a few times, so I kind of know. It's a bit up and down. The, the uh, conservatives have come up with with a, a rather radical right guy. And uh, so us liberals aren't too happy about that. Right. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. And it's, the worst of it is he seems to be gaining strength. And I, I get reaching to the point where I probably want to get out there and try and make sure he doesn't get elected. OK. <laughs> And getting back to the record, I think you described the song No Crowd, No Show as kind of a protest song. What are you protesting there? Now the bookstores are empty, the airwaves are full of reruns and retreads and bad news in both. We don't want to play. Well, just the fact, I guess, ch changing times is uh -huh. what, what it is. And and the fact that uh, it's so much harder for someone to get started in the music business these days. I mean, there, there's no place to to go and, and sort of 
figure out who you are and what you're doing because those clubs don't exist anymore. Right. And, uh, and you know, the, the day of the garage band is gone, I think. And unless you're co extremely computer savvy, it's very hard to get your music out for people to hear. Right. And uh, I, I guess what it boils down to is I wouldn't want to be starting out now. Gotcha. Yeah, well, yeah, the computer thing, and even though you think, when you think you got it all figured out, everything changes the next day, you're like doing the same thing and you get blocked or something or something doesn't right. upload or, you know, somebody won't ask for your password and then it's all, it's all yeah. back down to stage one again. It's very too complicated for me. Fair enough. Yeah. Too complicated for most people, I'm afraid. Yeah. It seems like there's a handful of folks who thrive, you know, Taylor Swift or somebody like that. And the rest of us are just scrambling around for the, whatever's left over. Yeah. Well, the internet is their meat. It's not mine. Gotcha. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So uh, are there current musicians or songwriters or singers that you listen to that you you kind of admire? Uh, well, there, there are people that I've admired for a long time. I, I haven't listened to a lot of new music. I I've Well, I've never really listened to a lot of, of, of the music that's going on around me because I don't want to be influenced by it. Right. Uh, I, when I listen to music, I mainly listen to classical music uh -huh. or or traditional English country dance music, which I'm very fond of. Right. Uh, but I I really don't want to be swayed by anybody else's style. Right. And, uh, you know, it, there were people who certainly influenced me early on, mainly uh, listening to all of the old uh, um, traditional recordings, you know, old ladies with no teeth, but singing great songs. <laughs> That sounds like an album title. <laughs> well, would uh, Angels in Troubled Times be an example? That's from a traditional English melody, right? Everyone talking of angels Hope in these troubled times Searching for someone to save us Praying there be it is. The original melody was called Porter's Dream, and it was uh, one of the uh, pieces collected by Playford, who was probably the first music publisher ever uh, back in the 1700s. He collected a lot of the traditional English country dance music, and some of them was great titles. So one of my favorite titles is uh, Throw the House Out of the Window, which I've never figured out. <laughs> You kind of know what it means, but you, you just yeah. don't want to think about it too much. <laughs> right. But that, that melody, Porter's Dream, was quite haunting. I, I adapted it uh, considerably. I mean, it, the melody I use is, is longer and, and uh, arranged a little differently. But it's, it's, uh, it's a philosophy of mine, you know. I mean, uh, don't expect people to do things for any other people to do things for you. You really need to get in there and do it yourself. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. And you wrote a novel a few years back called Joiner's Dream. And if I'm not mistaken, that kind of makes an appearance in the song Leaves in the Storm. Explain to me, because I haven't un unread the novel, so I don't know what I'm talking about. That night in Berlin, at the end of the war, in a bombed out building, we met neath the stars, a distant phonograph played some old love song 
that swept us along like to be in the storm. Well, the novel Joyner Strings uh, begins in the late 1700s and comes up to the present day. It starts in England and right. ends up in Canada. And uh, I guess the uh, the lead character would be a fiddle. Oh, okay. And it's it's a specific fiddle um, th that has um, a a, uh, a head carved into the the head of the fiddle, so it has a face. Well, okay. and, uh, and it's handed down in this one family who are, are a very musical family, but they have other aspects of themselves that are perhaps not so desirable, thievery being one of them. <laughs> and, uh, thievery. And uh, <laughs> so it, it, the book basically follows the history of, of that family and, and that, that particular instrument in the family. Gotcha. And is that the only novel you've written? Do you have other manuscripts laying around? Well, I did write a follow-up to that one, but the publisher didn't pick up on it. And and I've written three murder mysteries, which I'm still uh, uh, sending around. Okay. So that'll give you something to do after this last album. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> if it is indeed. Uh, and it's, and uh, it's, speaking of family history, you have a song called Long Chain of Love, which is kind of about a family history. Is it your family history that we're hearing about? Great Grandma sailed the Halifax as a bride of seventeen Her name was Fitzgerald And she married William Shee Her mother's parting gift to her As I was often told Was a chain of antique silver And a heart of purest gold no, it's not. Uh, Cindy and I were having a discussion about the fact that most families are traced through the male line. And we thought it would be interesting to do a song where it was traced through the female line. And that's really what the song is about. Ah, that's interesting. Uh, and and do you, have you studied your family history and gone way back? Some people are into that. I know. I know bits and pieces about it. Most of it is is uh, sort of legend in, in family <laughs> rather than... Rather the recorded history. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I think those are better. The legends is probably... Right. And more interesting, perhaps. Yes, uh, absolutely true. Uh, even if, who knows if it's right or wrong. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, we have a family... We have Canada shows up in my family history. So allegedly, my grandfather was engaged to somebody before my grandmother, and they had a big uh, pre-wedding party, and his friends put him on a boat, and the next thing, he, and he was English. Next thing he knew, he was in Canada, and he. <laughs> so the wedding <laughs> bye never bye happened. Bye bye to the to the uh, fiance. I have no right. idea if any of it's true, but it's a great story. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, a few stories. Uh, my my mother's maiden name was Brock, and there are a lot of Brocks in Ontario, and uh, um, Isaac Brock was very famous in Canadian history as turning back the Americans at Queenston Heights. Right. And uh, he uh, he was not married. He, he had no children. But the British government was so grateful to him that they gave these enormous land grants to two of his brothers all along the northern side of the Great Lakes. And uh, so my ancestor was John Brock. Ah, very cool. Very cool. I can't help noticing that it looks like a stained glass window or something behind you. What is 
What is that? Yes. Um, well, my niece is a stained glass artist. Oh. And have the, the the window. I don't. I'll come sort of move aside so you can see it a little. Oh better. yeah, that's pretty wild. Uh, it's it's based on uh, some of Klimt's landscapes, Gustav Klimt, and uh, I I have this um, bay window which basically looks out on on the brick wall of the house next door. So I asked my niece if she would do something for me to kind of give me something to look at. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah, no, no. And this was this was the result. She's very good. She's done some amazing work. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and then just looking back over your career for you, I know you had the hit record with "You Were on My Mind," and you and your and Ian had tons of great records and songs and all that. For you, is there something that stands out that's the highlight personally for you? Do you know, having started basically in 1959, there's a lot of uh, a lot of history there and a lot of high points, and I'd I'd be hard pressed to uh, to uh, to figure on one of them. Certainly, playing in in New York City at, at Town Hall and and Mass and uh, uh, you know the the major the major auditoriums. Right. That's always uh, always amazing. Yeah, Carnegie Hall as well. Yep, and. Uh, as for myself, uh, in the performing side of it, I just as soon play the, the small towns in mm -hmm. concert. The reason being that I find that in a city like Toronto, and I guess most major cities where there are music venues, they tend to be segregated by age. Right. You know, the audience, it tends to be a certain age for sure. The thing I like playing in, in about playing in the small towns is that the audience is totally mixed. I mean, you get little kids sitting in, in on the on the floor in the front, and, yep. and their parents find them, and their grandparents sitting further back so that the sound system won't hurt their ears. <laughs> and, uh, but it's it's um, such an inclusive um, kind of uh, experience that I I really enjoy that. All righty, because yeah, I mean, it's quite quite an achievement, and it's, it must it must feel good to get these songs out there finally, because like you say, some have been rattling around for years. Yes, yeah, and interestingly enough, the uh, the title song at the end of the day, uh, the reason that I wrote that, I wrote that with a friend of mine called Joan Besson, who was uh, a member of a band called Prairie Oyster, right? Very very popular in the country music field, and she she was in my band at the same time that Danny Greenspoon was, so we we've written some things together, and, and uh, the the reason why that phrase kind of resonated with me because again Trump. One of the things I really resent about him is he turned me into a news junkie. Right. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> this is also <Yeah>. unbelievable. <laughs> well, when uh, I have a friend in the States who's like a, uh, in a family of longtime Republicans for generations. Right. And so he said to me, what did you think before Trump actually ran? What did I think about, about Trump running for president? And, and I said, P.T. Barnum is alive and well and running for president. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> it does feel that way. Uh, it would yeah, be funny if it wasn't I, so terrifying. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just, I'm just hoping that one of these uh, lawsuits uh, gets him. Yep. I don't know if he'll ever be in an orange jumpsuit, but uh, yeah, hopefully it will slow him down. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. So many things that could have changed us sent us on our separate way. 
But here we are together at the end of the day.